Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out Toronto Today for Thursday, June 23rd. Well, the Taste of Danforth canceled yesterday. It's been a surprising announcement given two months ago. There was speculation about what was going to happen with that particular food festival. It's been gone three years. It had a triumphant return after a terrible tragedy on the Danforth in 2018. But it came back, roared back in 2019. We haven't seen it since. And you're going to be waiting another year. So why is that? We delve into some of the logic, if you will, behind it, and also City Councilor Brad Bradford in that area, Beaches East York, weighing in on what's happened here. There's a shortage of lifeguards as well. Why is that? We'll talk about it together. And Hockey Canada, the Liberal government makes a big statement freezing funding to Hockey Canada. Why did they do this? For a very important reason and long overdue. And this is action. This is tangible action that needed to be taken here. And the Liberal government, I give them full credit, they did not wait. You'll find out the details as we move forward here. Toronto Today begins now. Let me start here with the taste of the Danforth getting scrapped. Uh, yesterday, it was deemed, and Brad Ross is a spokesperson for the city of Toronto. If you go somewhere and you can't get uh, John Tory on, they're like, well, maybe Brad Ross will weigh in. Um, and his weigh-in yesterday was... There are permanent structures along the Danforth that make it impossible to host Taste of the Danforth, which is obviously the city's most prominent, you know, eating festival. It's wonderful for the community. It's great for the local businesses. And can you think of a spring and summer where it's been more important to reestablish normalcy? Again, got a kid going to a grade eight grad tonight in a gym. Hey, Take your own precautions. Be What have I said for months to years? Be your own chief medical officer of health. You know what's best for you. And the taste of Danforth was something that I think, I think two months ago, when this story started to come up, will be like, well, they'll find a way. Sometimes there are people that are find a way people. Sometimes there are cities that are find a way cities. Whatever happens, we're going to get it done. Let me give an example. My, the, our house, the Brady house right now, has three grandparents coming today. A brother and, well, brother slash brother-in-law and his partner, and maybe even other people. Is our house ready to absorb that? Is it a little bit, is it totally clean right now? No, of course not. But we find a way. We'll find a way late this morning, early this afternoon to get it all done before people arrive at two o'clock. I need, by the way, Toronto traffic, I need you. I need you today. Do your worst for about half an hour. Hold, hold all our parents up for an extra 30 minutes uh, while we finish the floors. So or there's going to be judgment. There'll be judgy things happening. So when the taste of Danforth, it, it, we think, well, it'll be a get it done moment for the city of Toronto. It's not getting done. Yesterday, we find out it's absolutely not going to happen and it's been canceled. But I got questions about this. Uh, questions about this. You see the headline in the Toronto Star, Ben Cohen writes, uh, and Ben may not write the headline, Taste of the Danforth canceled over impasse involving Cafe T.O. and street space. That's about it. This is about patio umbrellas and tables, which aren't, the tables aren't permanent, um, and bike lanes. And the bike lanes aren't permanent. The city, you can easily close the city to cars, street to cars. You cannot close the city to bikes. Well, I struggle with the logic of that one uh, to a great extent. And in the media release yesterday, uh, the Greek town on the Danforth BIA, which runs the festival, wrote this. It, quote, has determined the best way to ensure the long-term success of the festival is to postpone restarting it until 2023. Wait a minute. Let me go back to what Brad Ross said. And Brad Ross, the spokesperson for the city, said there's permanent structures that make the taste of the Danforth impossible this year. Which is it? If these structures are permanent, why won't they be permanently there in 2023? Are the bike lanes going to somehow become less permanent along these six Cafe T.O. installations and along an 800-meter stretch of Blur Street West? I don't know. Not sure. By the way, this comes as a surprise to many of the local owners. Uh, I dug through late last night after getting off uh, off the GO train from Toronto FC, and the owner of Louis Cipher, which is a great bar along Danforth, Aaron Gamelin, said this um, about what was going to happen with the taste of the Danforth. The owners and proprietors were quite sure that it was going to go ahead. 
this year's festival will go ahead. They are mm-hmm. working very closely with the city. And I know Paula Fletcher is, quote unquote, going to move heaven and earth to make it happen. There's some logistics, uh, cha- logistical changes with the bike lanes and Cafe Tio, which we're all happy to have. The event is not off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that everybody's working very hard with the city and the BIA. Uh, communicating to make sure that we can still have this weekend happen. Okay, I'm not going to blame Paula Fletcher, uh, the city council for that area, but heaven didn't get moved and neither did earth. Maybe some earthy things got moved, but heaven certainly didn't get moved. There's no taste of the Danforth. Again, here's the quote from Brad Ross to City News a couple months ago. They're new and are permanent infrastructure, meaning the concrete barriers that accommodate the bike lanes and protect the patios. Obviously, if the patios are on the street, you do need some element of the concrete barriers. They're new and are permanent infrastructure. They weren't there in 2019 when the last taste of the Danforth occurred, and the pandemic necessitated a lot of change. Sure did. Many of which were to businesses like restaurants and bars on the Danforth with Cafe T.O., You're not explaining to me, if your city spokesperson, Brad Ross, why it'll be any different 11 months from now. Why it'll be any different in April of 2023. If the concrete structures are permanent infrastructure, that's kind of self-explanatory. If you're not willing to close bike lanes in 2022, why will you be willing to do that in 2023? Look, it's really, really disappointing. And I, I, I'm i going to invoke it here. The awful incident during the taste of the Danforth with the shooting, that that community had, to, had some recovering to do after 2018. The mass shooting that was terrible, awful. Uh, and we had just gotten, I wouldn't say we'd gotten over it, far from it. That happened July 22nd, about a month from now in 2018. Two people were killed, 13 were wounded with um, a uh, person using a Smith & Wesson 40 caliber handgun, the kind of handguns the federal government's trying to ban, but the kind of handgun and then that in this case, this young person had illegally. Not sure why anything is supposed to change a year from now, and we were just, you know, pushing past the van attack that had happened two and a half months earlier. 2018 in that stretch was terrible. And the the Danforth recovered and the Danforth got back on its feet and had a run, remarkable year. You remember what 2019 was like in the spring here. Raptors win the title. We got great weather, hot summer. And, you know, you're able to get back to some element of normalcy. I think this is incredibly disappointing. I also think it's very fair to criticize this um, heavily. And sometimes when you do that with your city, people think, oh, do you want to live somewhere else? No, I don't. I just want where I am to be better. You look inside your own heart and soul and brain all the time and say, can I do something better? Can I be better today than yesterday? Can I be better tomorrow than I'm planning on being today? Well, why can't we do that with infrastructure? Why can't we do that with uh, tables and uh, temporary tables, temporary umbrellas, and yet seemingly permanent infrastructure? The World Cup's going to be here in three years. There will be quote unquote permanent infrastructure that will come and then go away. There's permanent infrastructure set up for the CNE, but then it goes away after two weeks. I've yet to find a great explanation as to why we can't do that with the taste of Danforth. Okay. Is it everybody's favorite time? Is it everybody's favorite event? It doesn't have to be, but it's really important to the community. It's a fabric of who we are in Toronto. And I find it pretty ironic going into a week. It's not rain on your wedding day. This is actually ironic going into a weekend where there's a pretty important cultural festival parade coming back somewhat triumphantly. We'll be talking on Monday about how well it went. Hopefully that one with some slightly lesser oomph and prominence doesn't really get heaven and earth moved to make it happen. Remarkably, remarkably disappointing. Let me switch to this. I don't get this story whatsoever. Um, There's a new movie on Netflix. Someone was asking me about it two days ago, and I haven't seen it yet, but it's with Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson. It's called The Man from Toronto. Mm -hmm. I think I said that right, but maybe I didn't. Why am I even questioning myself? Well, there's an apology that's come. The world's just so full of apologies. Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson are sorry. Sorry? Sorry? for mispronouncing Toronto in the new Netflix movie. Here, check this out and tell me if you think they're getting it that terribly wrong. Hey, Toronto. You ready to go back to work? We need an extraction of information. what I do? Our only way to find the man from Toronto is if you continue to be the man from Toronto. Hey, yo! 
make makes sense at the end of the day. Kevin Hart uh, in a video call from Ireland. I think I said that right. Uh, says, I'm not from Toronto. If you're from Toronto, of course, you have an understanding of how it's supposed to be said. I'm Gord. I'm a hard T Toronto person. I don't mind it. I know Don Cherry got away with <laughs> with putting like no T's in it for years, except at the start of the word. But yeah. I don't have that much of a problem with the hard T in Toronto. And some people put a whole bunch of A's and some W's in there. Toronto. They do. Well, that's it. That's right? just it. There's a lot of vowels and less consonants. I'm not. Maybe I'm pro-consonant that way. Cheers star Woody Harrelson plays the hitman. Uh, says he's been in the city many times over the years. He got on the conference call from, uh, what's his country? Itali? I don't even know. Anytime it's mispronounced to Torontonians, we apologize. I don't think they got it that terribly wrong. I've heard it pronounced worse, like you said, with about nine vowels yeah. and two consonants. I, why do we get hung up on this? It's just there's we're bigger things very, to worry about. We're all very hung up. <laughs> Let's focus on the random wanton violence involving two deadly mercenaries and hitmen, one of whom is named the man from Toronto. Let's focus <laughs> on that for our Netflix and chill tonight. Yeah, really disappointing news. Let me read you this quote about the uh, taste of the Danforth, and it's in the Toronto Star this morning. Um, I don't like this quote. Ben Cohen, staff reporter, writes this, and this is from uh, Chris Christodoulou, a general manager at Sulis Modern Greek Cuisine. Sometimes you sleep at night and you wonder if you're going to be able to continue. We'll have to find different avenues to create the lost income. I don't know how many blows we can get before we collapse. And it's really rough and it's hard. And again, being critical of this or being disappointed or upset about this, that to me, that me that emphasizes that you love Toronto. That means you are pro Toronto. It doesn't mean you're complaining about everything, but we've had some moments in the last few months in this city. Very excited to bring on uh, Brad Bradford, who is uh, joining us um, for 19 Beaches East York City Councilor. Thanks so much for making the time, Brad. I, I enjoy our conversations and uh, you're making time on a school day morning as well. Thanks so much. Love to be here with you, Greg. Always good to talk Toronto. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Um, this uh, this news, I, I think we were hopeful. I know there was a, a fellow city council that said, this is two months ago, this is going to happen. I'll move heaven and earth to make it happen. And I don't doubt that that effort was there. What was your reaction when this was uh, canceled yesterday? Well, again, uh, just being next door to, to Greektown, I think it was really disappointing. This is one of the biggest festivals in the entire city. It's on a lot of folks' calendars. We're bringing you know, more than a million people out to Danforth to, to celebrate uh, the Greek culture and the, the dancing, the music, all of the fantastic food. Um, and it's been gone for a couple of years. So I had this marked on the calendar, as I know many Torontonians did and folks from across the entire GTHA. Uh, and to not have it back is is a huge blow, both for local businesses, for residents and for Toronto as a whole. Um, but recognizing the challenges of, of bringing a festival with more than a million visitors to Danforth and uh, and a streetscape that's changing. It obviously needs to be thought through. It needs to be planned. And uh, I think that that was a big, tall order at this point in the year. And so mm -hmm. we'll look ahead to next year and uh, bring everybody back out to Danforth and, and celebrate all the great things that we have here in the East End. I hope so. I, I want to bring some of that prospect up of, of next year. But I, I read a quote in the release from the, the local BIA. The short timeline available to adapt the event to the changes in the street uh, meant that it was you know too great a risk as, as not being as successful. Is that sort of your understanding? It would have been sort of held on a smaller scale, but but people said there's too much risk that it that it, that it won't have a level of success. And if you if you put you know marketing dollars in and play, you know pay workers and whatnot, there's there's a way that it could actually go wrong instead of right. Does that look like that was the fear to some extent? Yeah, and again, you know, not too close to the organizing of it myself, mm -hmm. um, not close to it at all. But I, I would say it is a big production. You know, that's mm -hmm. why we love it. You're, you've got multiple stages. You've got lots of performances. You have barbecues the size of a of a small car. So there's a lot of infrastructure and footprint that goes down in this. And, uh, you know, we have Cafe T.O., which has been a huge success across the city. Uh, in this part of town, in Greektown, there's actually 32 different Cafe T.O. curbside patios, which have just been an absolute lifeline for these small businesses during the pandemic. Thank goodness they are there. Um, but it means that we sort of have to balance all of the infrastructure that comes with the taste, with the existing patios. And, uh, you know, this is going to have to change and evolve like a lot of the other festivals taking place in the city of Toronto this summer. And uh, again, I think really it's a product of the success of the mm -hmm. taste over 
what are they nearly 28 years now? It's just so big and such a big footprint um, that it's going to take a little bit more work to to reimagine what that looks like going forward. Brad Bradford's kind of to join us. Uh, Ward 19 Beaches East York City Councilor on Toronto today with Greg Brady. I think st- some of the rough part of this is, is that in 18, there was the awful tragedy of the shooting. And, uh, and that left obviously a, a tragic taste in people's mouths. But then 19 was so, it just felt like such a celebratory spring and summer in Toronto. The Raptors had a lot to do with that, right? But but that was just all of us getting back. And we haven't had that since then. So it was only sort of one year bouncing back on, on our feet for the festival and for the city and that neighborhood that you know so well and everything. And then now three years without, it's it's hard. You know what, though? I think that's a really good point, Greg, is, is we've shown our strength and our resilience bouncing back in 2019. Uh, you know, you're right. Big raps win totally changed the dynamic of the city. And there was so much enthusiasm. And frankly, I think the disappointment that it's not here is a result of that pent up demand, that mm-hmm. enthusiasm, our uh, inclination to get out there and spend time with each other, support local bu- business and celebrate this city. So I'm confident, you know, the BIA, the organizers, you know, all the folks at the city and of course, our neighbors we're going to be back next year. We're going to do it bigger and better than ever. Uh, we just got to figure out what that looks like. And I've seen the adaptations, you know, in, in my part of town, we've got Beaches Jazz Festival. That's another big one that's coming up right now uh, where we've got hundreds of musicians coming from all around the world to bring their uh, their jazz music down to the beach. And, and that looks a lot different too, because we've got patios going on down on Queen Street. So, you know, you got to figure out where you put the stages, how you host the bands and, mm-hmm. and the challenges will be the same for the taste just bigger uh because it's a much bigger festival but we got to figure it out but i'm optimistic because of what you just said so i think the ask uh, the ask about next year brad is probably um i go to a quote from brad ross uh the city spokesperson meaning the the bike lanes and the concrete barriers they're new and are permanent infrastructure they weren't there in 2019 and the pandemic necessitated a lot of changes give you that all that's true brad ross is right about that but i think when i read the phrase permanent infrastructure i think why can concrete barriers be removed next spring and bike lanes closed down, but they couldn't be this year? I mean, I'm sure that's a question everybody's asking, again, without putting the onus on any one person or any one body of uh, of, of government here. Well, I don't think anything's set in stone. And obviously, this is a big setback, right? So we mm-hmm. got to kind of go back to the drawing board. But I will say, um, as we roll out our patios and active infrastructure across the city, there's that period of time uh, where we were rolling them out before the May 2-4. And, you know, that's a multiple week process to do it across the kind of 630 square kilometers of this big city. So, you know, the, the staff team sort of estimated it would be about nine days of downtime to pull all of that up across the extent of Danforth and then to put it back down on uh, on either side of the three-day weekend. So, again, you, you talk to a lot of the restaurants along the Danforth and you wouldn't want to lose nine days of prime patio time in the in the summer here either I was I was out on Danforth this morning I was out there last night those patios are slammed you know you're competing for for table space and so that's a big uh, it's been a big revenue stream for those small businesses and uh, I don't think anyone wants to see that go away so just recognizing that you know, we are a big city. It is uh, sometimes challenging to get these things done at our scale. And the the idea of rolling everything up and taking them away for a weekend and then trying to roll them back out, the traffic impacts, the closures, all of that apparatus, you know, I'm not, I would never say it's impossible, but it's, it's not something like flicking a light switch. So we have to be really thoughtful. And I think the idea here is let's evolve it in the new Danforth context, like we are with Do West Fest and Taste of Little Italy and the Jazz Fest figure out what that looks like and come back bigger and better next year. I think as well, I mean, obviously it's not your ward, but the CNE is a big thing as well. Like I was thinking about that, even being up at, at um, Wonderland this weekend, how you'd go as a, I'd go as a little kid, I'm a bit older than you. And before Wonderland existed, that was your moment of the summer was the CNE, whether it was concerts, Blue Jays, whatever. And I think having that back and having that just packed to the gills, like again, it, it ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. You bring stuff back uh, people have that feeling like, okay, ne- because I did this, I can do that as well. This is what we get when we all get together as a city. And there's just, there's so many, you mentioned the Jazz Fest and the beaches. There's so many big events over the next three months that we all, we just want pride this weekend. We all just want the boxes to be checked and, and to be back at it. 
We've got we've got Pride this weekend, which is going to be massive and mm-hmm. a ton of fun. We've got Carabana, we've got CNE, we've got Indy. Like Toronto is back, and you know we we were talking about Active TO a, a couple of weeks back at Council, and that's one of the challenges. Like that particular stretch of Lakeshore, we got 250 event permits just this summer in that part of the city, and last year we had one. So it is quite a striking change in where we were last summer to where we are this summer, and and it goes back to your point, 2019. Tons of enthusiasm, a city on a high. Everybody wants to be out there. We want to support local business. We want to see each other and we want to have just a fantastic summer. Our events in the city are a huge part of that. So it's going to change. It's going to evolve. This is a this is a bit of a miss. And uh, I think everyone's uh, a little disappointed. But with that disappointment becomes our resilience and our resolve and our commitment to do it bigger and better next year. They're coming. They're knocking on the door of 30 years. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is a big one, and uh, it'll be a big celebration next summer for sure. Brad Bradford, Strong City Councilor for Ward 19 Beaches, East York. I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for making time for our show and our radio station, Brad. Have a great uh, great weekend. Love it, Greg. Thanks. We'll see you outside. You bet. Uh, there's uh, Brad Bradford. It is one of those things. Like, I'd, I'd say that, and I think this is, I think Brad would probably, uh, you know, nod and agree with this. There is sort of that 905V416 thing that I... I don't get it all the time, but I just watched the provincial election three weeks ago that kind of pitted the two sides against each other. It's all about transit, buck a ride, do this, do that. And that's meant to appeal to people that are more um, urban, that have access to that. The highway lobby was was clearly you know, designed to get votes for Doug Ford to say, I'm going to stop the, the, you know, the, the log jams. I'm going to make sure your, your car commute and there are just moments when you have to drive. We saw this crop up two weeks ago with what Mark Shapiro said, the president of the Blue Jays, about getting to games. And the the people that live in the city say, stop driving your car. It's easy to get to a, to a downtown event without without driving and without having to park somewhere. But the if you're coming from anywhere out of town, if you're coming from Kitchener in for the weekend, let's say even we, I used to do this all the time. Come to Massey Hall. Come to Molson Amphitheater now, Bud Stage. Go to Blue Jays, wherever, and you'd and and, but we drove, we drove until my dad finally figured out when Roger was Sky Dome open. He said, "Let's park at Yorkdale." My brilliant dad, who I'll get to see today, said, "Let's park at Yorkdale and take the subway." It's really smart. You're out of there a lot earlier. You're home later, but there's just isn't a hassle. He doesn't want to drive downtown Toronto. That's 1990, 1991. He doesn't want to drive into Toronto. Can you imagine how much easier it was then? 32 years ago, and it's a big problem now. Shiva Siddiqui joins me right now. We had to let people peer behind the curtain of uh, Toronto Today a little bit, and I have no idea why they would want to. We should make them pay extra for that because uh, this is really inside stuff. We had a lot of trouble, and I and we clearly weren't the only media organization, Shiva, to have a lot of trouble to get somebody to go on the record and talk about this. Like, what is this, Goodfellas? Like, what? why did nobody want to at least express emotion and opinion about whether this could have been saved, what the big issues were? And I think the biggest thing, which I brought up at Six Sheba, is how, are you, how can you guarantee that this can go off 12 months from now of what we're talking about is bike lanes and concrete? Why are they easier to remove 12 months from now than they are right now? That's exactly it. So when this story first broke yesterday afternoon, we were all in shock because this is a festival that people, this is a one of the city's largest festivals. It brought in, in 2018, it brought in $106 million to local businesses, to the city. So it is very profitable. Mm-hmm. It's been around for decades. Uh, and when it was canceled, it was a shock to everybody. So I reached out to several people, several people, uh, in author in authoritarian positions who can speak on this no one wanted to speak on it everyone gave me a statement which we've heard you know yesterday throughout the throughout the day this morning as well and greg i don't understand why why is everyone so hesitant to come forward and and explain how this makes them feel that one of the city's largest festivals while there are so many others that are moving forward this summer that this specific one taste of the danforth is canceled it's an odd one like there's a retiring city councilor that had um uh that had a quote a couple weeks ago where he's like ah the job just wasn't the same the last couple years all these virtual meetings and i'm like you should have said that a year ago when yeah. the, when it's possible to at least ask questions about where we're going. And I'm not here to relitigate the pandemic, but I'm here to say, like, the city of Toronto and it's I give I give credit to Brad Bradford, who's going to come on top of the hour, because I think yes. there are hard questions involved. And to your point, 
there were counselors that were absolutely certain. I mean, we we played a clip from one of the business owners from back in April when this story started to come, and uh, and and you know, uh, people said uh, it was going to be a scenario where we were going to have. Paula Fletcher said, "Well, we'll move." Of course, it's going to happen. Don't pay attention yes. to these rumors. Paula Fletcher said, "I'll move heaven and earth to make it happen." What went wrong? Where are we now? I don't know. And I would love for her to come on and, and let us know how she's feeling about this. I mean, what this means to her. It's awful. And I, my heart goes out to these businesses because this is a very, this is, the, you know, where they make a lot of their income every year. And that doesn't mean let's, we should just continue to go out, support these businesses. It doesn't mean that, you know, uh, it's all over. There's some amazing restaurants yeah. on the Danforth, right? And those patios, it feels like summer when you're sitting on those patios. Uh, so we should just continue to support them. I don't know what's going to change in one year with, with active to you, with cafe to you, so with, with the bike lanes. What's going to be different that they're planning from now? And they did make these promises at the beginning, you know, earlier this year that they're going to be moving forward with this. So. I, I know there's a lot of anger as well. I've seen online from local residents in that area, right, who really value this. It's part of their summer. Uh, they're wondering why it's canceled, why, what, what can be done about it, uh, as well as a lot of anger from the businesses as well. I think it's two things, Sheba. It's the finances as well, but it's the feel-good things are back to normal. Look at look yes. at what I get to do as a parent tonight. When the CNE comes back, right? When the CNE comes back for the first time since 2019, no matter, yeah, there'll be crowds, everybody will, you know, there'll be corn dogs, whatever, there'll be a lot of traffic waiting for rides, but you're back. That's the whole point. And it doesn't matter how crowded the taste of the Danforth was or how much you're paying for a souvlaki. It's like this feels right again. And if, if that doesn't affect how people feel like right in the right in the middle of the chest, I, I don't know what does. And it doesn't make sense that they they didn't foresee a lot of these infrastructure issues coming. And the rumors were there eight weeks ago, eight That's weeks it. ago. Yes. So and we keep asking, having to ask, why will it just snap of a finger oh we'll get rid of those those patio tables and concrete barriers next year three weeks ago today there's no way this is true was the provincial election that was like 10 weeks ago but here's how it's all going to work today caucus gets sworn in tomorrow the doug ford ontario pc cabinet gets sworn in and a lot of rumors and speculation swirling about that and who better at queen's park with rumors and speculate but they all come true they all come true sabrina nanji qp observer joins me right now i'll tell you what the, whoever's doing the swearing in today sabrina a year ago if you told them yeah uh, there's going to be 83 of them uh you wouldn't have believed that necessarily 12 months ago with how angry people were at the ford government for uh, locking us down all spring last year but 83 uh, men and women get sworn in today as members of the uh, of the Doug Ford caucus. Yeah, that's right. What a difference uh, you know, <laughs> four years and a pandemic can make. eh? It feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's we'll get to some of the uh, I want to get to some of the, the cabinet choices as well. Um, really quick. I want you to hear this uh, from Bill Kelly's show a couple days ago. Andrea Horvath on the speculation she'll run for mayor. And I've got a question for you about that. But this is what she told Bill Kelly on our sister station in Hamilton. It's certainly something that's on my mind, but it's also being at this point um, put to, to somewhat to the side as I fulfill those obligations that I've described. You, you know me, I'm a pretty serious person. I, I take my responsibilities uh, to heart and, um, you know, and I'm not going to I'm not going to leave, uh, you know, the, the caucus uh, or the party in the lurch. But certainly there are some timelines that are tight. And, and so I am weighing all of these things uh um, you know, very carefully. Sabrina, any doubt in your mind this is what she'll do? Well, she didn't say no, but uh, that was pretty much as close as she's getting to it as a mm. yes. Like, yeah, that's right. You know, Horvath has been making the media rounds uh, these days. Uh, she, she's also getting sworn in this week, along with the, the rest of, uh, you know, the Conservative caucus, every other MPP that was elected uh, just a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, she's right. The, the clock is ticking for Horvath right now. Um, and so she's uh, she's got until August 19th. That's the deadline to sign up to you know throw your hat in the ring for the local elections uh, later on in October. Uh, and, and we've kind of heard you know Fred Eisenberger, the outgoing mayor, 
essentially, you know, give her a, an informal endorsement saying that the two are aligned on policy. Horvath would be someone great to take up the mantle from him uh, and, and be great for, for Hamilton. And of course, you know, Andrea Horvath, she, uh, she lost nine seats provincially, but she managed to hang on to her seat in Hamilton Center. So I think certainly mm-hmm. she's got a, a decent shot uh, at, at winning the mayor's seat uh, later this year, but I don't think she's going to make it official until she really has to. Sabrina Nanji's our guest, QPobserver.com, uh, joining us on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Anything on the leadership front for either the NDP or liberals that jumps off the page? And I'll just bring up one name. We had Nate Erskine-Smith on about a week and a half ago, and his name coming as a federal MP from Ottawa and be, and being very much a you know independent, sometimes a lone wolf uh, MP um, who I, I don't think has been too out there, but people like his logic, his pragmatism, and he hasn't exactly been a uh, fall-in-line Justin Trudeau disciple, which many MPs get criticized about. He's an intriguing name for the Liberals, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I heard a bit of a fiery um, comment from from one Liberal insider who told me that the only people that are going to help Nate uh, you know, when the, the provincial leadership are going to be the federal liberals that don't want him in that party anymore. Um, but but I think that it's going to be a, a tough race, you know. Uh, already, I think there's a lot of uh, speculation, a lot of mm. interesting gossip coming around. Of course, you know, both these parties, uh, the, the most immediate task in front of them is picking their interim leader. Uh, and for the NDP, at least anyways, it's looking like it's going to be Peter Tappins. Mm. I know some in the grassroots uh, have told me that, you know, he's not exactly left enough for, for their liking. Um, and so it's really like, you know, this existential moment for both of those parties. Uh, for the Liberals, when it comes to interim leader, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions about John Frazier, Ottawa MPP, who, who did it the last time around after Kathleen Wynne stepped down, you know, who knows if he'll want to stick that out but the house is coming back sooner than we think you know they were scheduled to come back in september uh doug ford basically confirmed that they're coming back earlier in the summer uh likely next month now you know to pass that that budget uh that served as their re-election platform so uh the, the clock is ticking for everybody here right now at queen's mm. park uh and with with the big resounding 83 seat majority for the conservatives you know they're going to be plowing through that agenda you make the point in uh your latest on qpobserver.substack.com uh, that whoever the next health minister Minister is. There's a lot of speculation. It's the current Solicitor General, Sylvia Jones. So feel free to weigh in on that. But why are they in for such a, uh, a rough ride? What will make the next four years a very out of the pandemic, a very difficult job to be health minister? Well, I, I think there's a lot of reasons, right? Like we're still coming out of COVID. Uh, now there's this, you know, next phase of dealing with, you know, um, uh, the backlog of surgeries. Uh, hospitals are already overwhelmed. You know, COVID is still not over, although it might be dissipating. Uh, there was an Angus Reid poll just, you know, this week that suggested, uh, you know, over 70% of Canadians aren't really happy with how their provinces are handling that file. Uh, and, and so this incoming health minister is definitely going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, you know, uh, it, it says a lot that the outgoing minister, Christine Elliott, who chose not to run for re-election, you know, stayed on that file for four years. There were quite a few cabinet shuffles. Uh, you know, Ford said he was even consulting Elliott on who her replacement should be. So it just goes to show you, you know, just how big this, this file is. Uh, and not to mention, you know, it's the biggest spending um, bucket that we've got, uh, you know, provincially. So there's a lot on the horizon. Um, There's probably a lot of, uh, you know, mistrust on that file as well. You mentioned Sylvia Jones, uh, the the most Mm -hmm. recently solicitor general, Uh, you know, she's, she's uh, been on the pandemic file too, because of course there were a lot of issues that, you know, had to do with policing enforcement of of some of these emergency rules that came in. Uh, Another name I've heard is Steve Clark, you know, minister of municipal affairs and housing. He's very well trusted around the cabinet table. Uh, And and there was also this rumor. I mean, of course, you know, just ahead of a cabinet uh, swearing in, there's a a lot of buzz around Queens park uh, for poured cold water on this one that he might break up that ministry um, as he did, you know, cleaving off long-term care from, from it and making that a standalone ministry. He said, that's not going to happen right now. So certainly this is going to be a huge undertaking for whoever takes on this job. What uh, there, there looks to be an obvious candidate uh, to fall out of favor and maybe not have a cabinet position. And everything has pointed to me from talking to people is that it's Lisa McLeod. They gave her uh, in essence, the autism file and she made some, you know, I think harshly insensitive comments that were totally tone deaf. And then they made her minister of sport. And I think there was still some frustration with some aspects of that. Are there obvious cabinet members now that Doug Ford has just shaken his head at and said, I, I've got to lower your responsibility here and put new people in those positions? 
Yeah, certainly um, Lisa McLeod, I think, is, you know, maybe on the dump list, if I can put it that way. Yes. Uh, she she had said, I think, you know, um, it, it came off very tactless when she said, you know, she went from the autism file, a political hot potato for any government, of course, uh, to, to sport um, culture, tourism, heritage, you know, said she went from the minister of tears to the minister of, of cheers, you know, uh, she also got oh. into some hot water with with Ford and her own party, you know, for for using the taxpayer funded uh, riding association cash to kind of supplement her own income. So, you know, I, I that's, uh, that's completely, you know, not Ford's brand, uh, you know, to, to be all for the taxpayer, as he likes to say. So uh, we're thinking that, you know, she might, she might get demoted. Um, Michael Tobolo as well, who had kind of been demoted, you know, throughout the last four years. Uh, of course, he managed to hold on to the seat in Vaughn Woodbridge, which liberal leader, outgoing liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca, uh, could not win back. But he's been kind of like this fading star uh, mm. over in Ford's cabinet. And I'm also hearing Ross Romano, um, the Minister of Government and Consumer Services, uh, might be on the outs too. He, he represents uh- Sault Ste. Marie. I've only got 45 seconds. Are all these safe? Lecce, Minister of Education. Mulroney, Minister of Transportation. Um, uh, who was I going to bring up? Oh, yeah. Peter Bethlen Falvey, Minister of Finance. Those three look like obvious keeps that won't get shuffled. Yeah, that's the word on the street right now, you know, especially Lecce. Um, the, the evergreen rumor at Queen's Park is that he's not necessarily a fan of that file, but certainly he's been handling it well. There's, you know, teacher bargaining coming right up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a, a, t- a tough slog, you know, for any government. And so I think they don't want to rock the boat on that front. Uh, same with, you know, Peter Bethenfalvey and Caroline Mulrooney. They've, they've got a lot of wins uh, on on that, those files, the budget, uh, transportation, you know, big ambitious projects coming out of the Ford government. And so I think that they're going to want to keep it, you know, steady as she goes with, with those guys in charge. I can picture the teacher union folks getting uh, the Stephen Lecce name on their call display and they're like, oh great, him again. Well, wonderful. This is, uh, <laughs> I know how popular uh, he is with them and, vi- and vice versa. We'll see where it all goes, Sabrina. And thanks very much. We'll see uh, where it all lands tomorrow and we'll be reading you, of course, on uh, QP Observer. Thanks so much. Thanks, Greg. You bet. Uh, Gord Rennie has our quiz and it involves what, Gord? Because it's National Roller Coaster Week this week. And I was on some this week. The only one that can claim that. You were. So you maybe have a leg up on this one. So I'm going to give you some fun facts about coasters, great and small, from our country and our neighbors to the south. So it's an international quiz of man of mystery enjoyment. Okay, gotcha. Like we do, we start with number one, which is a true or false. (laughs) We, st- <laughs> we always start with number one. I, yeah, it's I'm weird gonna, how that works itself. Next out. time I'm going to start Mix with four. Mix it up four. next time. <laughs> <laughs> the American roller coaster, this is true or false, was invented to save America from Satan. Is that true or false, Greg? <laughs> uh, it's false. Okay. Many things were invented to save them, save America from Satan. This wasn't one of them. All right. Sheba? It's so crazy that I'm going to say it's true. All right. And Dave? I, I'm going to say False. It's true. What? In 1884, there was people that were disgusted with the uh, amusements <laughs> like saloons and brothels. So they made this roller coaster that traveled along the track at six miles an hour. Ooh, thrill people, ride. People faced outward instead of forward, and they had constructed these scenes like the Venetian canals and the Swiss Alps to give the people a serene, pleasurable, peaceful experience at six miles an hour. Dave, it's a very leading question. That's a like the judge might be like ask for a redirective in a, in a criminal trial if you. No way. Ask no, I have it's to perfect. believe in Satan it's in the first perfect. place. To... No, it's. <laughs> All right. What's number okay. two? Number two, in Disney World, riding the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad ride at Disney was proven to help with what? A, cure vertigo. B, dislodge kidney stones. Or C, cure insomnia. Dave. I'm going to say kidney stones. All right. Yeah. Greg. Insomnia. All right. And Sheba. I'll go with vertigo. It is kidney stones. Yeah. Mm. They they 3D modeled up a fake kidney and put a stone in it. And 20, what was it? uh, Two thirds of the time, if you sat in the back corner, it would dislodge the stone. (laughs) See? But if you sat in the front, no. But if you sat in the back corner. So wait, wait, wait. You're on the roller coaster yeah. and you're you're almost passing a kidney stone yeah. on the ride. You know how yeah. awful that would be? But wait, it's not just once. You got to go at least 20 times on that. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. So you get it you got the, the fast the lane pass. You yeah. just keep going. I mean, I think by that time, you're not worried about uh, your kidney stone at all. You got other problems. <laughs> yeah. There's some other pains but, and other 
regions. They did this study, and that's what they said. All right. Number three, is it true or false? The pioneer of the steel roller coaster suffered from motion sickness. Sheba, is that true or false? I think that's true. All right, Dave. That really makes sense, so I'm going to say yes, true. And Greg. Absolutely. It is true. Ron Toomer, (laughs) (laughs) T-O-O-M-E-R. He was credited with... (laughs) (laughs) He pioneered the steer roller coaster and the suspended ones, you know, when you hang down Mm -hmm. from the track in the car. And he had horrible motion sickness, and he said the bigger they got the worse his motion sickness got, so he just prefers to just sit at his drafting table and, and draw them. Unbelievable. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can get somebody else to test them. That's I'm a telling good idea. you, like, again, I've got all these other adults my age going, and you in on all the rides on Tuesday? Like, like people retire at a certain point in time, and they're like, yeah, ah, I'm too old. I find now that, like, the, the big ones, the behemoths and that, they're so smooth. The ride. They're really smooth. They're really smooth. Some of the ones throw your neck drop. and back around, and yeah. you need a chiropractor right after you get off. Hey, you pass a kidney stone. There you go. That, also that, yeah. simul- simultaneously. And number four, since Canada's Wonderland opened in 1981, which roller coaster has the most riders been on? Is it A, the Ghoster Coaster, B, Dragonfire, or C, the mighty great Canadian Mind Buster? I th- oh. Greg. I think it's the first one I ever went on in 82. I didn't go the first summer. Um, the Dragonfire. I Dragonfire? think it's the Dragonfire. All right. Sheba. Oh, pressure. I think it's the Mind Buster. And Dave, I I was gonna say Mindbuster, but I think it's Dragonfire, just because it's the first one that everybody goes on when they get into the park. That's some uh, pretty deep thinking and reasoning. Yeah. And you were right; it is the yes. Dragonfire. Forty-three point two million riders since nineteen eighty-one. Wow. The uh, Daily ranks the top five at Wonderland: Yukon Striker, Leviathan, Flight Deck, Behemoth, and the Bat at five. But the Bat really. Yeah. That's violent, I find. The, the backwards. <laughs> <laughs> what about the backlot stunt coaster? That gives you a big jolt out of the yeah, gate. That's oh, that's true. A, that packs a punch. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, Wild Beast? I always thought you were going to smash What'd your you head call me? The Wild Beast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that too. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. You can take good pictures outside the uh, Wild Beast. I think I was calling it the Wildebeest all the other day, and oh. the kids were like, what's the matter oh, with dead. you? Stop it. Not even a thing. Uh, on the on the, well, on the front page, in essence, of uh, TorontoLife.com this morning, Foundation Up, brand new story, and the headline grabs you, uh, a great investigative piece, The Case of the Missing $46 million. Um, Toronto Life, of course, associated with our show, uh, Toronto Today, works out perfectly. We've had some great chats about uh, some of the big restaurants coming back, some of the great stories involving Torontonians, and so a lot of new content on torontolife.com this morning, including this piece, and we welcome on the author of uh, that piece. He is Ethan Liu. Ethan, it's Greg Brady. It's great to have you on Toronto Today. Thanks for doing this. Greg, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I'll tell you what. I love this story because, uh, and I'll tell you why, because there's so much context here because I think we've all heard somebody start talking about crypto. It could be when we're out for drinks or out for dinner, a few couples, and somebody says, yeah, I know somebody who knows somebody who had something like this happen to them. But you give all this context. Like it reads like you'd want to watch a two-hour movie of exactly what happened here to this gentleman, Josh Jones. Tell us a little bit about it. Wow! Uh, thank you for the high praise. So, <laughs> I can hype uh, up. I can hype up things that I'm uh, I'm passably interested in. But I was really interested in reading this. I thought it was great. Uh huh. Yeah. So uh, Josh Jones, he's a uh, he's an early investor in Bitcoin, and he's a very very rich man. And one day he uh, he had essentially forty six million stolen from him by uh, a kid from uh, uh, around the. Toronto area, someone who is uh, under 18, so someone we can't name. And uh, essentially what happened was a SIM swap. So uh, yeah, the, the kid stole Josh Jones's, stole, took control of Josh Jones's phone number and essentially stole his identity. And it's amazing as well, because, you know, you mentioned he's an early investor in Bitcoin. He's also an early investor in Netflix, and I'm sure we all are kicking themselves. We all remember the first person to Tell us about Netflix. And the first person, I, I, a co-host of mine, was uh, was doing the mail back the DVD thing back. And he's like, Brady, this is amazing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe it'll last, maybe it won't. And then streaming takes off, and have you invested early in? And and uh, Josh Jones was a guy who did this as well. So a lot of his fortune, at one point, you write, he was worth you know an easy $15 million just for a small investment in Bitcoin from a lot of that Netflix money. Uh, 
Yeah, so he he he's definitely a person with a lot of foresight. He uh, he put his money in Netflix early. He put his money in Bitcoin early, and he even put his money in the web early. So when he was in university, he and a couple of friends they started an uh, a web hosting company, and this was the, back like twenty years ago, uh, maybe even more than that. So he uh, he definitely made a lot of money, but he did not see it coming that uh, this kid would take some of it from him. Well, you you do uh, an amazing job documenting that. He checks his phone, um, and this is a, a on an evening in February 2020. And I'm going to quote your words briefly. I want people to go to the piece, but uh, he panicked. The money was being drained out of his accounts right before his eyes. And 99 people out of 100 listening to me say that, Ethan, have had that moment where, where they're like, is something going on with my account? Why can't I get in? What's this charge all about? This is a little bit different. This, this took it to the nth degree. Yeah. And so uh, to his credit, he, he actually uh, he saw that it was happening as it was happening. And so for a transaction to be considered finalized, usually uh, in crypto, you say it needs six confirmations. So it only had three. And this is all very theoretical because it's hard Mm -hmm. to do, but he was trying to find a way to appeal to people on the internet to help him reverse the transaction. And and because this is such a rare thing to do, it, it really speaks of a lot of desperation in the moment. Ethan Luz, our guest. This piece is up on torontolife.com, uh, the new edition of it. How much, Ethan, did you know about Bitcoin before writing this and hacking, per se? How much did you know about Bitcoin and hacking? How much did you learn after you did the, re- the, the research and made your calls? Uh, uh, well, I, I knew plenty about Bitcoin. So I, I, I wrote a book, uh, Once a Bitcoin Miner, Scandal and Turmoil in the Cryptocurrency Wild West. But I definitely didn't know so much about uh, SIM swapping and hacking. So that was the that was the, the thing I learned through writing this. Does seem to have a certain demo to it, doesn't it? Younger uh, men who spend a lot of time on computer. If if I told you, you know, a hacker in a case like this was a forty six year old woman, you'd be like, not likely, right? These are young kids in high school or college age, aren't they? Yeah, and so uh, the the kid in this case, he's uh, this sort of profile is uh, it, it's not unique to him. And lots of other high-profile sim swapping cases, lots of uh, celebrities being hacked, and uh, they they're all uh, young young men. And I think what's very interesting is that Josh Jones, the person being hacked here, he's a pioneer of the internet. He was among the people who created this world, and now the kids growing up in this world, you know, they uh, they they they, uh, they come back and bite him. Tell me a little bit about the the kid. And you, as you said, you can't name him. You can't name the alleged hacker, but you were able to get a lot of background information on him. Is that is that sort of I won't say walking that that sort of fine line, but you're like, how how did you sort of piece together all that information about this person and and still be cautious not to not to break any obviously laws or journalism ethics and in, in revealing too much about him? You did a great job with that. Uh, yeah, so uh, thank you. And so basically, I, I I had a source, and and basically none of the people are, are, are named in there. And the 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 kid in here, um, I, I think he uh, he didn't have a very uh, plentiful childhood, and uh, his parents split up uh, right after he was born, and it was not a really amicable split. And their their disputes went all the way to family court. And it was that sort of environment in which he grew up. And I think he drifted farther and uh, farther uh, into the internet uh, over the years. And Mm. before he was uh, hacking, he was uh, buying and selling accounts. And I think uh, there wasn't much in real life for for him, but uh, in the internet world, he was king. Give us something the listener could take from this in terms of being cautious with their Bitcoin investment? What's the one thing, one thing that's just so strikingly obvious that maybe people wouldn't wouldn't have uh, right at the top of their brains? So uh, how Josh Jones got hacked, and this isn't specific to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is quite often lost this way. So uh, if don't use your phone as a secondary uh, authentication uh, me- mechanism. So, you know, if you want to reset your password in Gmail, lots of people, they receive uh, a code sent to their phone. And uh, there's another way to do it with an app on the phone. And that's a lot safer than uh, using your number. Uh, 
And I bet that with the case, like I, I'll roll my eyes and, and you know, when you're doing like those, those two factor authentication things, I was at a hotel last week in the States and try and didn't have my phone. I left it up in the room to charge. So I come down, I eat breakfast, have a coffee, and I'm trying to log onto my email at the hotel computer. And they're like, we'll send you a code to your phone. And I'm like, I could check my email. If I had. So those are the frustrating things. But then you realize it's probably better in the long term that it's protecting me that way. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it's uh, it's it's a lot more steps to go through. It might be a little tedious, but uh, you know what they say: a a, a pint of uh, a gallon of sweat today is worth a pint of blood tomorrow, or something. I like that. I'm going to jot that down and use that all weekend long, Ethan. Thank you very much for your time. It's a great piece. I urge people to go uh, to torontolife.com and read it. And uh, again, I'd cast this uh, and uh, this this should, speaking of Netflix, this could show up on a Netflix movie and it'd be in that top 10 list right away. So you did a great job with it. Thanks for making the time to, for our audience. Thank you for having me, Greg. Absolutely, man. Uh, Ethan Liu joining us. You can go read this piece on torontolife.com. Take a couple minutes here to talk about the uh, lifeguard shortage. A lot of people looked at this story yesterday, and we'll revisit it again later in the show. But, I mean, of things you could predict, and why would you want to? Why, what's the? <laughs> I often say, what's the win in this? What's the benefit in being like, I told you so, but you could see this coming, couldn't you? David Ryder is the City Hall Bureau Chief, and he wrote this in the Star this morning, and the headline reads, City cancels some swim lessons due to shortage of aquatics instructors. 1,100 people signed up for swim lessons. And this is adults too, not just kids. But I think we think of it like, come on, kids have been waiting. They move along. We all took swimming lessons. We all did and got to a certain point in time. And then and then our parents start, are like, okay, you know, you can breathe a little bit and know that your kid goes in the pool, does a bunch of weird stuff in there, does a bunch of backflips, can you know play rugby in the pool or go to a lake, and you you don't have to keep your eye on them every single second. That's a great passage of time for a parent. But the city is blaming blaming an industry-wide aquatic staff shortage. Now, sometimes, right, we say this a lot on the show, two things are true. There is an industry-wide aquatic staff shortage. Sure there is. And some of that is kids not being instructors, not being able to keep up with their badges, not being able to go renew their CPR. Like it, it's easy for me to say, I'm not qualified to lifeguard. I haven't done a CPR class probably in eight years. I bet you that's uh, lapsed. And uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that I've done a swim test in uh, in the last decade or two. I'm quite sure that I haven't. So you need to do those things. And I get that. Parents are going to be like, you can't just bring someone off the street and say, hey, lifeguard. Lifeguard and security guard, and those need training too, are two different stories. But they're not paying them enough as well. 17 bucks, 17 bucks and change is what you get. I asked a friend of mine whose daughter works last night. I'm like, we were talking about the story on the go train. And I said, what, what does your daughter get for working at Lowe's? And he's like, 16 bucks an hour. You're going to have to sweeten the pot a little bit in this time, in this era, if you're going to make sure there's enough staff. And this is for not just lessons, but covering beaches, even watching wading pools with those little two and three year olds going in. You still got to have all the same qualifications. They'll pay you 17 bucks an hour in the hot sun. Are you coming for that when you can work somewhere indoors and there's plenty of part time jobs to choose from? I don't think so. Thanks so much for listening to Toronto today. Uh, Rabina Ahmed Hawk is in for me tomorrow. I'll be back for you on Monday after the weekend heading into Canada Day weekend. So a short week next week as well. Thanks so much for listening to the show today.